ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And Matt, by the time this airs, we will be traveling to Nerd Mecca, San Diego Comic Con 2018. You got it. And I got to say, I've been getting so excited. As you guys know, we are hosting a panel for Famous Monsters of Filmland. It's called 60 Years of Famous Monsters. And uh, I'm very excited about that. But, Rumi, I got to tell you, it dawned on me while I was talking about this the other day, that you and I haven't seen each other since April. Oh, my God. I know. Aside from Skype. Like we see each other like every week on Skype. Yeah. But I'm excited like just to see you. And even though we're only going to be together for like one day, we're going to nerd the fuck out. I know. It's going to be crazy, dude. Because it's like, because I've been in Atlanta. I'm working on The Walking Dead. And I'm so stoked to get to fly back and not only go to Comic-Con, but to get to see my bro again and get to like podcast in person again for a second. We're going to interview all these rad people going to host a Comic-Con. Like this has been one of our goals since we started this podcast is like, we want to do a Comic-Con panel. We want to do a Comic-Con panel and famous monsters has been so rad to hook this up. Rumi, you got the deets on that Comic-Con panel. Where where can people find us? What time is it? So please guys, if you like, I mean, if you love us, even if you like us a little, please come say hi. Please come up. Tell us that you listen to the show. We'll be so excited to see you guys. We have, um, actually, I could tease this too, Rumi. We are dropping something really interesting at Comic-Con. Yeah. It's a little bit of an extension of the show itself. Expanding so the Launchpad universe, man. Yeah, come up. if you come up talk to us at Comic-Con, uh, we will give you some pretty cool uh, uh, brand new little sketch cards that we have, business cards that have some pretty cool information on there. You'll be able to find some cool stuff on our website. But if you come to our panel, we it is going to be, it's titled 60 Years of Famous Monsters. It's at 5.30 p.m. on Friday, July 20th. So that's this Friday. And it's in room 26AB. So it's upstairs off the floor. Um, it's going to be super, super cool. We got superstar Phil Kim from Famous Monsters and Holly Interlander are going to do some talking about a bunch of comics and stuff that they have going out because uh, Famous Monsters not only does their their annual magazine, but they also do these really rad comics. They have a new comic coming out. We're going to interview a couple different people associated with that. Um, we definitely are doing Tula Lute, who's doing the covers for it. The uh, interior art for this book, it's called Nice, is going to be Mark Renee. We have people um, who are working on turning that into a TV show. We're also interviewing our buddy Walter Welsh, who I used to work on Grimm with. He's a, a practical effects artist. It's going to be a cool panel, guys, and and Aaron and I get to moderate the whole thing. It's going to be really, really cool, so uh, come check this out. I'm so excited for this, man. We've gotten to do some pretty cool stuff. Last year when we did Comic-Con, we released a four-part series. It was a massive series about all the stuff we did at Comic-Con last year, like that time we got farted on and that time that... that, uh, The first part, the first thing that jumps to your mind (laughs) is getting farted on. Because that was the funniest thing, because then we literally were like, oh, man, we were recording and we just started laughing about it so hard <laughs> that guy like crop dusted us <laughs> um that yeah was if you hysterical. haven't heard that go check it out we have a four-parter from last year and then N- nichelle nichols who played uhura in star trek 
was was at that panel. We went to all yeah. these weird panels that kind of sucked and were really weird. Did you know that that guy just got arrested for child porn? What a psychopath. Oh, oh, the guy who was like, may the force be with you. And I audibly went, oh. <laughs> I don't know if it was the guy who did the panel, but the guy who owns the museum that the panel was about, he just got arrested for child porn. What if a I'm not douche. Oh, if you guys, guys haven't heard this episode, it's definitely worth it. Um, yeah, they were, we had, th- they're four, it's four parts. It's a big one, but we have some well, amazing. And we really, we had quite the adventure last year, yeah. but we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. This year, we already have a lot of interviews scheduled. Some um, really cool interviews set up. We're supposed to meet with the guy who created the documentary, The Toys That Made Us. Love that show. We are, we're going to have a tour of the Sideshow booth, and you know, Sideshow is going to take a couple minutes to kind of tell us about some of the stuff they have coming up. Rumi, who's our, our totally bodacious Cowabunga guy we're going to interview? Oh my God, we're going to get to interview Kevin Eastman for a brief moment, but it's going to be amazing. I mean, that's Getting all I need, Kevin man. Kevin Eastman on the show. We're also going to have our friend of the show, Ethan Nicole, is going to be on. He is one of the creators of Axe Cop. He is the grown-up artist who, with his brother, who was like 20 years his junior, created Axe Cop. His brother essentially was writing it, and he was drawing it. Yeah. Um, I've met him a couple times in the past. He's a super chill guy. And if you guys don't know Axe Cop, you got to get on board it's uh, written by a five-year-old, and it is the funniest fucking thing. It's super funny. Uh, X-Cops are hysterical. We're going to take a couple minutes and talk with him, too. So as part of getting ready for Comic-Con, Rumi, what are we doing today? Well, today, I mean, we get to do all these awesome interviews. And, and, I, and I, like, I loved it when we interviewed all the people who didn't want to be there. Sometimes we interview so many people, and sometimes we don't get to put the interview in an episode because the episode, you know, we run out of time or, or we don't get to release the episode in the order that we want to. And one of those situations was you and I went to WonderCon in April, like just before I came out here to Atlanta and and we got to interview some really cool people and then we released like Godzilla and we released all these other things and and, and WonderCon just kind of got far away so it's like well what are we going to do with these interviews are they really great so i think because we're going to Comic-Con and you know WonderCon is in itself a, a smaller Comic-Con i let's drop these interviews today so one of the first ones that we people that we got to talk to when we went to WonderCon was an amazing artist, and I'm sure you guys recognize his work if you're a Batman fan. We got to talk mm. to Kelly Jones. Yeah, now Kelly Jones is an amazing artist. He's done a ton of stuff, and he's definitely one of those artists that, like, if you know what's what with comics, you know Kelly Jones, you know what he's done, but then when you go back and look and see some of the older titles he's done... Before he was known, you know, mostly for Batman, you start to be like, wait, he worked on Spider-Man 2099. He was on, he did some Venom covers. He did Magneto stuff. He even did, I don't want to blow some of the stuff that we reveal in the interview, but like, I know him from Aliens. He did a, a really, really stylistic Aliens book. But if you guys still don't know who I'm talking about, Kelly Jones draws Batman in a very specific way. Rumi, how does Kelly Jones Batman look? Oh, he's got the tallest ears you've ever seen, man. Those the, bad yeah, ears it, are like, he's going to stab you with these giant bad ears. I, I, I know you guys can't see me but my arms are both like upright over my head to illustrate his <laughs> giant ears um, like if touchdown you, if style. you guys Boom. in the 90s if you were reading when bane broke the bat um mm-hmm. 
during the Nightfall, Nightfall run, he did Kelly Jones did a lot, if not all of those covers. Yeah. And I um, mean, the 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 most famous cover with with uh, Batman over the rock with Bane behind him. That's that's Kelly Jones. He did so many beautiful beautiful covers. But uh, he also is well known. He did the Red Rain series. There's yeah. a three issue Elseworlds series. And if you guys haven't read this, it's one of the cooler Elseworlds. Usually, I'm not into DC Elseworlds, but oh, I love Elseworlds. Was, I'm a big Elseworlds fan because I love. That I mean, they're fun, it, but they're just uh, usually they just seem so contrived to me. Well, that's part of the fun, but I, I digress. This was really fun. Tell, because us, tell us why this was a good one. Yeah, this was really good. This, and I mean, this is probably the best of the Elseworlds. I, I agree that a lot of them kind of seem out of place and seem kind of weird. Like, well, what if Batman was a communist? You know, stuff like that. But I like um, that one. <laughs> the, the Red Rain series is, is, is really well done. And it's one of those things that it shouldn't work, but it works really well. And it's amazing. And, and, and well, you guys should just listen to the interview. Okay, Rumi and I are here. We have a Launchpad podcast. We are at WonderCon in Anaheim. Yes, we are. 2018. We are here talking with Mr. Kelly Jones. <laughs> the legend. Welcome to the Launchpad, <laughs> Mr. Jones. Thank you. Um, you guys know his work from Nightfall. You guys know his work from Red Rain. I go back, I guess it's not further. It's about 92. Uh, Mr. Jones did a book called Aliens Hive. Yeah. I was not a comic book kid growing up, but I was a huge Aliens, Terminator, Predator guy, and I bought every comic that I either had allowance for or my parents right. would do me the justice of right. buying. And I had at least, I think I had two issues, the middle two issues of that series. Yes. Much like your Batman later, it those the way you drew the aliens is ingrained on my mind, at least as far as comic. <laughs> like, I definitely have the images from the films, but... Uh, can you tell us how you got on that? It was a Dark Horse project, right? Yeah, what, what it was was I saw... Uh, I would see other people do it and they did really well, but they were doing every little knot and nodule and detail and whatever. And I was thinking like when I first saw the movie, I didn't notice any of that. It was just this shape moving through with teeth. Mm -hmm. And I, so I wanted to try to get that across in the book, the, that it, this thing was coming out of the darkness. It's primarily teeth and claws. I really liked that it had no eyes. Sure. So yeah. I wanted to, to emphasize that and if you put a lot of detail on it you kind of you your mind will kind of say where is the eye this i made sure you didn't think that and i worked on the shape of it because mm -hmm. the first film was absolutely perfect sure and it was terrifying one of the best so i wanted that to be in the book and i chose that story they offered me three scripts and i chose that one because it was the most emotional and it was the most that the monsters were secondary to it. Yes, absolutely. So you didn't know if the young lady liked the old guy or not. The robot was very sad to me in mm -hmm. that. And the monsters then became more monstrous. Absolutely, yeah. They had a point, too. The, the going after the royal jelly, as it were, yep. was a great idea. That story actually sets down some really good mythos that is then carried through yes. in other Dark Horse Aliens books. Yes. The, the one that I saw first as a kid is the cover, at least. It's a Dave Dorman cover yeah. with a dog with a ball in his mouth yeah. and a big xenomorph hulking over it. But there's wires and stuff coming out of the back of it. Right. And as a kid, I was like, what is that? Start flipping through the book. And it's like you said, first of all, about how you design the creature itself. You lead artistically, I feel like, in those designs, you lead with the teeth. Yeah. Which is, that's what that character, right, Room? That, that's it's, that's it's, what that it's is. It's all teeth and violence. Yeah, he's there, to, he's there to eat you. And I guess until t listening to you talk right now, I never thought consciously about the design of, like, 
the headpiece and yeah. how it's way more of a, it's way more like Alien One, the film '79, yeah. where it's real smooth as opposed to a real deck bumpy and textured yeah. in Aliens. In Aliens, yeah, well, Alien, the first Alien film scared me. The sure. second one was a fun action movie, absolutely. Yeah. But they're shooting them. Yeah. In right. the first one, there's nothing you can do, mm-hmm. and it's in the room with you, and it's wherever you know that that was. I remember walking out of there with a buddy of mine. And we had to check the trunk of the car. I mean, you just get stupid. You get scary. You get stupid. I'm sitting in that audience with people. I went to go see a movie thinking it was a Star Wars-y thing or something. And they meet an alien. I don't know. And it was an absolute knuckle whitening experience. Oh, man. Well, since you're in the movie theater watching that movie, when they get to the famous scene... What popped into your head? What was that moment? I like? didn't see. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, you know, first of all, who likes to vomit? Yeah. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, he's going to vomit, and it got worse and worse and worse. And I had love read H.P. Lovecraft's Dream in the Witch House, where this thing comes out of a guy, where it teleports in and chooses way out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there, that, that's what's happening. This thing is. There's something in him. Oh man. And it popped it, all that blood, and it comes so out. Amazing. And the dawning every, realization. Well, at that point, no more snacks were eaten. <laughs> sure. Popcorn's done. No more nothing. That's funny. Uh, and but that's that was visceral and stayed with me. Well, since you mentioned H.P. Lovecraft, I, I'm a big fan of Lovecraft. Was he a big influence Huge. to you? Wow. Huge. Well, can we can we transition into the the Batman Red Rain? Something that I, I love when we were talking a little bit earlier is, is you know, it, it, you, you really settled on this gothic style, brought Batman back to his gothic nature, and him fighting Dracula, that to me reminds me of like old Hammer films yes. and like Universal Monsters. What kind of influences did you bring into well, that Well, I book? grew up watching Hammer films and old Hell Universal yeah. Monsters, and that's what I did. It's so great. So my first thing was, I'm not into, and even then, I'm not into modern vampire stuff where they're it's a disease or it's a hip or it's cool. Mine were there from Europe and they have fangs mm-hmm. and it's cool that way. And yeah. they speak nice and they can be at a dinner party and then kill you later. And that, I like the range in that. But what I was figured I could add was how monstrous they could become. Yeah. And, uh, with Batman, uh, here he's using fear to keep people in line with someone who really is that. Yeah. So that isn't going to work anymore. So it got to who who Bruce Wayne is to do what he does, and it worked. I mean, it just it 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 also it gave a chance to utilize Gotham properly, right? Well, and I've always seen Gotham as a, as one of the characters. Sure. Yes, so exactly. I got a chance to highlight it. That's amazing, and and because that's something that I think the first Tim Burton Batman really made the city visceral made the city feel like a place that was haunted and getting to see that in a comic book well what where i felt good is a lot of my ideas i figured i'd never get to use them again so i threw them all into it that's awesome Mm -hmm. and one was uh the bat cave where i made all these groined arches and uh antonio gaudi looking designs and what was really cool is later on when i got to do it regularly i still did it and nobody else did that and I saw no one else do it until Chris Nolan did it in his movies. <laughs> and he saw those and sure. they went, hey, that makes sense. Well, when you see lists of books of 
if you're doing your starter course in Batman, the Red Rain series and the stuff that you've worked on is on every list. It is yes. some yeah. of the most quintessential Batman reading. Well, Batman was... He had gotten into a routine mm -hmm. for a long time. So I had the good fortune of doing Dead Man prior to that, where I changed Dead Man up, and it took a character no one cared about and made him interesting for a while. Mm. And so I figured I'll take the same thing uh, when I did uh, Sandman. I came into it, and I said, well, I'll, the, he's kind of a static character, so I'll make a cape that blows around all the time, so it, there's something moving. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this was working. So when I got to Batman, I figured they're going to let me do it once. They're not going to, you know, I don't blame him. I, he was a superhero, <laughs> mainly superhero guy. Yeah. Right. So I was adding these elements and I figured I threw everything in and it took off. How did the vampirism get into the Batman story? Where did that begin and how did that uh, conversation start? Doug Minch yeah. called me up and says, I want to do Batman. I have a special Batman and you do scary stuff and he loves scary stuff. We both loved Universal and Hammer films in our discussions. And I said to this, I said, Christopher Lee is my favorite vampire. That's awesome. It, and my favorite awesome. Hammer yeah, horror sure. film is uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, where mm -hmm. he never says a word. Right. And he's terrifying in that. And I, we were talking like that. And he says, OK, I, I have this idea. And I didn't say, yeah, I want to do it. I read it and was like, our, our he told me it and as just briefly says, I'm going to send this to you. You'll get it tomorrow. Batman versus Dracula. And I went, yeah, <laughs> okay. that eh, doesn't, you know, it, it could okay. be. Yeah. It but he didn't be. call it that then, but it was Batman versus Dracula and it had a different title. I got it the next day. I read maybe, uh, it was about a, it was pretty big, um, synopsis. I read maybe, a tenth of it called him up and said, I'm on board. This is great. It was totally didn't. I, it, he nailed it. Mm -hmm. And That's it's awesome. one of those things where uh, he was always funny because like, you know, you have to believe me. Well, right. the proof of the pudding was in the reading and it was spectacular. And I figured if I'm reacting to this, I would imagine people would like this that would get it. I didn't know it'd do that well. I just thought if somebody buys this. Because then $25 for a hardcover. Right. Because it wasn't released in single issues. It was no, released one as big a graphic book, novel. And they released it on the same day as uh, Simon Bisley's Batman versus Judge Dredd. So I figured no one's going to oh, buy I it. I didn't know that. That's an interesting Yeah, no facts. one's going to buy it. But it sold out that day. Wow. Now, if you guys haven't read this before, it's part of a trilogy. It's the first of a trilogy. The first mm -hmm. one's called Red Rain. Uh, I know that you guys are understanding what we're talking about. But if you've never, if you don't know Kelly Jones's name, Kelly Jones is most known for draw, drawing a very gothic, vampiric-looking Batman with super long ears. And a dreadfully long, tripable cape. With, yeah, a bunch yeah. of scallop designs yes. in it and everything. Um, he did almost all a good chunk of the covers for Nightfall. Yep. Um, that is, that's the Batman that I grew up seeing. And again, I said I wasn't really a comic kid growing up, but I was exposed to the culture. That was one of the images, your Batman, whether it was on the cover of Nightfall or even in Red Rain, just in comic book stores, that's the Batman that I saw the most during what I would consider the most formative years for a nerd. Well, and, and where I always felt pretty good was that it was also in the age of uh, image comics, that the right. image style, and yep. there was this whole different thing going on. And then there was this odd thing that was its own little universe. Mm -hmm. So you'd see the whole 
uh, comic book world kind of go into this one style or this one direction. And then there was me. Right. And so at that moment, I didn't know if I would survive or not. But the books kept selling. Sure. Yeah. And they kept saying these are, you know, they kept telling me these are definitive Batman, uh, the the Elseworld stuff and the mainstream stuff. So kind of by default, that happened. It wasn't by intent. Sure. I was given the covers to do Nightfall because they just needed someone to do them really fast. Oh, really? Um, and they liked the first few. The reader reaction was terrific. And they said, would you do Batman covers? And then a few more issues later, they said, and detective, we'll put you on both of them. Right. So I had to do my work and those covers. So I never really knew what was going on in them. They didn't because they were coordinating them. Right. So they would just say, so-and-so's in it or, you know, because it... So I had that going and then I was doing the vampire Batmans. Uh, I think Bloodstorm then. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was a it was a kind of a hazy period, but it was a lot of fun. And I wasn't seeing the influence. I wasn't influenced sure, by sure. everything else then. So my Batman didn't look like an image character or anything. It still looks like this universal hammer film type of thing. And going back to Universal, if we can go off of comics and onto movies for a quick minute, can you tell us some more of the cinematic influences that you had? Well, James Whale. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, James Whale was a huge influence, uh, not just in how he filmed things with shadows, but how eccentric his films were. Sure, yeah. I absolutely love Son of Frankenstein. Classic. Mm-hmm. Which to me is, this is heresy, was probably my favorite Frankenstein. I love all of those sure. with Karloff. But that one is just over-the-top madness, and I love that movie. And it's very eccentric. That, for sure, absolutely. And uh, But it has some images in it that if people are familiar with it, it's when uh, Bela Lugosi sends him to go kill, these shots of him moving through these weird wasteland are yeah. spectacular. Mm-hmm. So that was always in my head. The Wolfman. Uh, sure. So painterly. I love the All Wolfman. All the images. The Wolfman became how I would do uh, uh, his attack position became Batman's attack position. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. So there was a lot of watching that. Then when it, when, uh, when I would look at how, uh, for example, in uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah. The very opening scene in the graveyard. And I always, I would watch those on a loop to do what I was doing when Batman was doing something. Sure, yeah. Uh, they're fabulous. Wow. That's, so, I mean, that's, that's even before comic nerds, probably, we're horror nerds. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. reading your, well, looking at your art in books, reading those books is so fun because it combines, it combines both of those Yeah, well, they, that was the intent, was, was I am a huge fan of those films and that whole genre, and I love it. So, I was speaking, putting that influence in and speaking to people with that. I mean, uh, Frank... Miller would do film noir and sure. his thing, and mine was these. That was my where I was coming from, and I just thought they went together. You know, it's Absolutely. like chocolate and peanut butter; it goes so together. Well. That's a great example too, and yeah. I like you more for. Yeah. <laughs> Let's jump out of all of that now. Before Batman, you did a book based on a toy series that we have recently talked about. We yeah. did an episode where we talked about old ideas that we wish were redone. Right. And at pretty much the top of our list was Dino Riders. Yeah, Dino Riders, where they sent me the toys. Oh. <laughs> they, would, they sent the toys to it. And That's incredible. I had been doing the Micronauts. Right. So at that point, they figured, well, if you do licensed stuff, you go on to this. 
And uh, so they sent me like these three or four big boxes of toys. And they said, here's the reference. And we'll try to, you know, we're going to do just a couple issues of it. And it was Marvel was involved in it. And then one day, you know, I think Marvel then got new ownership. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're not doing licensed stuff anymore. Right. So that was the end of everything. You know, even though you're selling books, they don't care. Sure. Because the they Marvel just, used to have a lot of licenses. They, they did yeah. a lot of that stuff. stuff. But I always liked the Dino Riders. How can you it drop was a great idea. idea? It was guys riding dinosaurs with machines right? on the dinosaurs. <laughs> they would do it now. Rockets. Come on. We were talking about how great. What? Think of that movie. It would be amazing. Even if it's terrible, it would if be amazing. You did, if you did the toys now. Sure. Yeah. You could do better toys and you could make the movies. I mean, if you saw Jurassic Park, but they're riding them and they're weapons on them. That's what we were saying. <laughs> yeah. <Right? laughs> we should have had you on that yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh. Now you can do it because you can mix all that stuff. They, mm-hmm. were, they were actually too far ahead of their time. Sure. It was a great idea. 80s cartoons in the morning when Absolutely. they used to be cartoons in, in the, the morning. morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was. They were all trying to get sell a toy in the morning. Yep. Um. So they didn't care about the stories, and they didn't care about that. They just wanted you to get the monster and the toy right. Sure. Yeah. You know? Do you remember any of the toys? Of the uh, specific from Dino Rise? Or any I, that you know you what? Remember? I probably still have them in an attic somewhere. Whoa. <laughs> well, some what I was sad about was when I was doing Micronauts, I wanted the toys for that. and they Sure. And they didn't send you those. No, they didn't send any. They said, look at the comics. <laughs> We'll make it up to you on Dino Man, I wanted a Baron Carsa and an Acroyer really bad. <laughs> didn't we all? Yeah, I didn't get one. <laughs> and you drew for it. Yeah. Micro- Micronauts, if you're listening, send him his yeah, toys. Yeah, Micronauts, we know you're listening. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> That's too funny. That's so um, good. Are there any characters or properties that you haven't touched yet that you would love to draw? Well, you know, it's always that... Uh, you spend your career trying to build a, a reputation or, or be defined by a style. And that one, when I got into doing what I was doing, nobody did horror. Mm-hmm. I think Swamp Thing was the only horror book. And sure. it was more becoming a metaphysical book. Right. Yeah. So, uh, by luck, I got Dead Man. And I made that a horror thing. Though sure. the story was what it was. I just turned it... I cranked up that side of it. So, I started to say... Uh, because when I had left Marvel, I always wanted to do those things, but there was nowhere to do it. So I was more tagged as a science fiction artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at DC and I'm going, you know, it's I can, I first and foremost am a horror sure, fan. Yeah. Uh, and I just started twisting these things to that level, adding more shadows. Uh Showing telling a story yeah. different than a, than a superhero type story. I was telling it like that, but with s- superhero elements to it. Sure. And so when these things kept happening, uh, they start pigeonholing you in that. And I say that in the good sense, because I that's what I wanted. Yeah. But when they throw me, man, I kill for Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I could do a great Superman. I would love to see that. I could do. I could do that. I. I. There's a lot of. I. I would love a shot at Green Lantern. Who would be your Superman villain? For me, if yeah, I had question. to do it? Yeah. I, I love Brainiac. Nice. That, yeah. That's pretty good. You know? Yeah. Because I like seeing Brainiac. That's awesome. So I figured if you're reading it, you'd have to say it. So, so which, you said Green Lantern. Which Green Lantern would you want? Hal Jordan? Hal. Or would you, yeah. Yeah. And then just go and do adventures with him. Sure, yeah. You know? Uh, but that's, that's more of my... Um, my thing is that 
I look for the emotion out of a character. Sure. You know, something, and I think Superman is filled with emotion to me. Yeah. Um, so, and it would be, again, like, I always used to like doing uh, Batman, the reaction of people around. There would be issues where I'd have, you know, he has to go up a building and get something. And I would, rather than outside of the building and have a guy brushing his teeth, and he's, you see him on the climbing up the window, which scared me. Yeah. Sure, like, yeah. In Gotham, he could be there. Because I treated him uh, as regular people thought he was a bad dude. Sure. And the bat signal didn't mean he's on his way to save us. It's like warning everyone get indoors. The worst of the rogues gallery oh, is loose. Great that's, idea. That's how I looked at it. That is, that is an interesting way to think of it. Yeah, because they don't know he's a good guy. They're not, you know. Sure. Um, and so the, any character I'd get, I, I tend to look for that core part of him sure. and then go with that you know uh so yeah i mean i'm pretty open to any of those things i mean i i just did an aquaman i did gla annual right. stuff like that and those went over well but i think those stories were more geared towards my shtick which sure. is good right yeah you know man that's really cool that's i want to say i know you did some stuff for archie versus predator yep but because like i said i associate you in my head yep. with aliens First and foremost, always. Yeah. I would love to see Aliens vs. Predator by you, even if just a pinup would be uh, yeah, so cool. Yeah, and you know, th that had been run by at the time, but I was doing Batman. Because sure. I had said, I, uh, if I did it, I would want to do it. Oh, you could do Batman vs. Predator, too. Well, that would look amazing. There, yeah. there, he could do anything. He's got <laughs> any of those things. So it became uh, pretty much, uh, I, I would look at whatever I would get with the attitude of, I'll bring something sure, like yeah. that. And if those things came up, yeah. I mean, I would I would throw my two cents in, but what would always happen is you're on Batman. Right. So. Right. That's pretty amazing, well, man. This yeah, has been... and I know we had a discussion before. I'm a fan first, and I don't want to keep these people waiting too long. I don't want to keep you too long, but thank you so much. I have a thousand more questions yeah. I could ask you. And thank you. This has been super, super fun. Thank you, guys. After we got back, Rumi got me a copy of of a beautiful hardback copy of Red Rain, and that that was really cool. I still still had a print. That's the one that I have, and it was. Uh, yeah. I was actually lucky. He he signed it, uh, and, and and drew and like a picture it. in there of it. Yeah, he drew he a picture in your book, man. Cool. That was so cool. <clears throat> well, next time we see him, and the good thing is, we, I've been in touch with him since. He's been a super super cool guy. We found out after we did the interview. And went home to edit our Godzilla interview. We found out later he was a huge Godzilla fan, and he and I have talked about it in the past. So we're definitely going to have him back on the show. He's just one of those guys that, like, he seems super cool. He seems chill to come back. We just have so many things we can't wait to talk to him about. We yeah. got to narrow down the topics. But, you know, Kelly Jones was awesome. And again, Mr. Jones, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Sorry, sorry we didn't get this out sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was not the only awesome person that we talked to at WonderCon last spring. That's right. And this has a little setup, man. You got to set this up because we went to talk to this person specifically because you own a couple pieces of his art. Who are we talking about, Rumi? A man named Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens has been part of the Superman camp for DC. He's done a million other things as well, but he's been involved with Superman for years. I mean, most, I mean, I guess arguably most notably, he 
was writing and drawing during the Death and Returns of Superman arc. Yeah, so, he killed Superman. I mean, and brought him back. But I mean, he was on it for so long before and so long after. Yeah. He also he wrote and did some of the art in Superman vs. Aliens, that series, which is actually a pretty fun series. It's pretty fun. He's done a lot of DC stuff, but also a good amount of Marvel stuff and, uh, and independent stuff as well. Yeah. You guys got to look him up if you haven't seen him. But also, he's a super nice guy. I've met him a couple times prior to WonderCon. You have to set up how we got this interview, man, because this was some... I was lucky enough. I have a friend named Kelvin Mao, and he introduced me to another friend named Jim Reed. Jim Reed was amazing enough to work out on a, a great deal with me for a Justice League number 69 page, which, if you guys are as nerdy as I am, you know, was four issues before Doomsday Kills Superman. It's part of the canon of the Death of Superman arc, and it is a page where in the upper left-hand corner you have a great uh, bust of Superman. Lower right, you have a great bust of Doomsday. He's still in the green suit with one arm behind his back. He still has the red goggles. But in this lower panel, he's making a fist and he's about to turn around and punch out Guy Gardner. And you could see those crystallite, you know, knuckles poking through. It's super cool. And then in the middle of the page is almost the entire Justice League. So this is right before he thrashes the entire Justice League, which is a, a pretty cool moment. He beats the shit out of Guy Gardner. So I got this beautiful page from this my buddy Jim. It is definitely one of my jewels, one of my, you know, gems of my collection. So you brought this page down to, to WonderCon. Yeah, hope because it's not signed, and Dan Jurgens drew this, and I was yeah. hoping he would. Uh, he he drew the pencils, I believe. Someone else inked it. I think it might, maybe it was Brett Breeding, but I have to double check that. He was going to be at Comic Con or, or WonderCon rather last spring, and he had a table in Artist Alley. Usually, guys like Dan Jurgens don't have a table like that because they would just get swarmed. Yeah. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to bring this page. It's probably my most valuable page, if not." maybe top two most valuable. But I was like, I'm going to bring it and hope that he can sign it. And also that, you know, Rumi and I would get to talk to him. So we have this great interview with Kelly Jones. We go over to Dan Jurgens, and there's a small line, like three or four people. Yeah. And we're like, you know what? That's worth it. Let's try it. But we, so we get, get in the, line. Yeah, we get there. And, and what happens, Rumi? This dude goes, oh, he's not signing anything. And we're like, what? And he's like, he's about to leave for a uh, a, a panel. And we're like, he was oh. signing at the DC booth. And I was like, I've actually gotten something signed from him before at a DC booth. I got there like an hour early and was f- literally first in line. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be there for an hour. And but I, it's like, I don't want it signed that bad. There's like one dude talking to him, yapping his ear off. And you can see Dan rolling his eyes at this one dude, this <laughs> old guy just like yapping his ear off about what the whatever while he's drawing like a Wonder Woman. And we're like, okay, we'll wait. And we'll just, can we just ask him a question? And, and whoever this like handler guy was was like, yeah, 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 you can ask him a question. He's like, yeah, you could talk to him. He's just drawing right now. So yeah. he doesn't want to stop and, and sign. So we're like, okay, that's cool. So the guy walks away. I look at Rumi and I'm like, we're getting this page signed. We're getting this page signed. We're right here. We have to get it signed. Yeah. So we're thinking, we're waiting, and then I come up with this plan. Ugh. And I tell Rumi, though, I tell, did I tell you the plan before or did we just launch no, it? No, no, you said follow my lead. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, what are, like we, are we about to kidnap this guy? What? 
So we get up there and we introduce ourselves. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we t- I tell him that I've met him before. And it, when I met him before, it was actually the weekend that I was buying this page that I now have. And at the time, I didn't know which page I was going to get, this one or a different one from a different book. And he, I told Dan Jurgens this story back in Comic-Con. He was nice enough to sign both issues of that comics just in case I got a page from one or a page from the other. Yeah. So he was super cool about it. I was like, I know you don't remember that. We told him about the podcast. We asked him if he would give a plug. He said, absolutely. So we did a little plug with him. He was super cool. He, he even said something for a friend of ours podcast, right, Rumi? Yeah, for the 20th Century Geek guys, he 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 did a little, uh, just gave us like a little imprint about Superman uh, for the 20th Century Geek podcast, which they used in in their Superman episode. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's definitely worth it. You know, just to get ready for Comic-Con, check that out over yeah. 20th Century Geek. But uh, we finished this, and I was like, listen, can I run something weird by you? He goes, yeah. I go, I have this page that supposedly was drawn by you in the 90s for the Death of Superman arc, but... Some people have told me it could be a reproduction. Would you mind just checking it for me and telling me if you think it's the real deal? He was like, yeah, let me see. So he's looking at this page, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, this is me. And he's looking, and he's like, yeah, see, I did this. And he's like, look on the back. He's like, here's the DC stamp. And I could tell, I think so-and-so inked this. I think it was Brett Breeding, but again, I got to double-check that. But he's like, you could see this is his style. He's like, yep, this is authentic. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I just, it looks so beautiful. And, I, you know, not to brown nose you, but it looks beautiful. I didn't, you know... It's one of the few pages I have that I would understand if it was fake. He's like, no, this is the real thing. I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I really like this arc. I was like, listen, while you have it in your hands, would you mind just throwing a signature on it? He was like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So me and Rumi gave like uh, a you know, telepathic high five right there. Oh, yeah. And uh, then the, like even better than getting the signature, he gives it back to me. And he's like, do, do, you, do you have a sleeve or something for this? Because I'll give you a sleeve. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I have a portfolio. And I pull up. I have like a hardcover portfolio. I put it in. He goes, oh, because... You know those pages are, those pages are kind of special. They're pretty rare, and you know they're they're. And he was like mumbling about it. like they're they're kind of worth a lot. I was <laughs> like, oh no no, I I know I know that. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't like bring that around too much. And I was like, he's telling me how valuable this one of a kind Death of Superman pages. I was like, oh no no, I like I wanted to let him know like no no I know I just wanted you to sign this. <laughs> Otherwise, I never leaves my room. Like I don't bring this to people's houses and shit. You carry it around a, on the bus. <laughs> He's like, but he looked worried. He was like, "It's it, it it's it's kind of rare, and it's very it's 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 pretty valuable." I w- I would just you know take really good care of that. <laughs> it was really funny, yeah. And then, and then uh, according to Steve, our buddy who was with us at the at the con, as we walked away, he rolled his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> Steve, our buddy Steve Prince. Steve Prince is actually a really cool comic guy too. He's a writer and artist. He draws a really bitching comic called Monster Matador. Yeah, Monster and, Matador. Uh, He's uh he's working with us on something that we have coming out soon. We'll oh yeah. Oh yeah, we'll be revealing some of that at Comic-Con, so keep tuned to that. Keep an eye on our website launchpadpod.com to find out what we're doing with Steve. And uh yeah, at Comic-Con we're going to announce uh announce our our big expansion of the Launchpad Podcast universe. Yeah, but he he definitely told us he's like, yeah, Dan Jurgens rolled his eyes when you guys walked away. I was like, "Wait, really?" Because that like deflated me. He's like, "No, nah, I'm just fucking with you." Uh, but uh, it, it was a it was a fun time. So it uh, was fun. So I mean, I guess this is a perfect out. spot to uh, put that little interview in. <laughs> yeah, let's listen. Listen to what Mr. Dan Jurgens, like literally Superman royalty, has to say. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here. Launchpad Podcast is at WonderCon 2018. We're in Anaheim. We're here. With none other than Dan Jurgens, Mr. Jurgens, thank you so much for taking a second. Sure, glad to be here. Uh, I got to tell you, I've met you a couple times at a couple conventions now. You are extremely, extremely polite, extremely, extremely nice for oh, a guy that you. killed Superman. <laughs> and brought like, him back. And brought him back. <laughs> That's yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Um, real quick, can you just tell us how much of designing Doomsday 
was you versus other artists or uh, you know collective brain trust. One hundred percent. That was you. Yeah, that was me. I the, from the very first conversation that we had about what might be the death of Superman, which originally started with a monster that rampages through Metropolis. I had a little doodle that I did on a yellow legal pad, which was. You know, this is sort of what I'm thinking of for Doomsday. And obviously, it evolved from that. Sure. But uh, we started with that as a sketch, which then I refined into a much more fully realized character design. So, yeah. And what, what does Doomsday mean to you? Doomsday to me means and works because he is the opposite of Superman. Superman is a creature of thought and reason and trying to find the best way to solve a problem without anybody getting hurt. Doomsday is just the opposite of that. At that time, Superman had a lot of uh, enemies like Brainiac, like Lex Luthor, sure. even Toy Man and Prankster, who were all about, really, in one way or another, trying to outsmart Superman. Doomsday is the anti-Superman. He is blind, unreasoning, almost like a force of nature. Trying to reason with Doomsday is like trying to have a conversation with a tornado. Sure, You can't do it, and you're not going to stop him by trying to do it. And on the other side of that same coin, then, what does Superman mean to you? Superman, to me, is an enduring symbol of moral integrity and hope that serves as kind of a, a shining light of what we should all aspire to be. It's probably the best description of Superman that I've ever heard. That's oh, good, good. I've put some thought into it, you know. <laughs> You've been thinking about Superman for a little, a little while bit, now? A little bit over the years, yes. Well, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to it. chat with us. We really, really appreciate My it. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. So yeah, guys, that has that that's what we've been up to. That's what we're looking forward to. I mean, I can't wait to see what kind of interviews we get at the big dance at San Diego Comic Con 2018. Uh, if you're in town, come come find us. Come say hi. We'll be uh, especially on Friday. We'll both be around doing uh, just just walking on the floor. We'll be at the sideshow booth. We'll be talking to Kevin Eastman. We'll be at the Famous Monsters booth, and then at 5:30 in room 26 A B. We're doing the Famous Monsters of Filmland panel, 60 Years of Famous Monsters. And guys, you you should plan some time to come see that because it's going to be awesome. You're going to hear a lot about what Famous Monsters is up to, the really cool projects they have coming up. And you get to see us, and we're awesome. See the handsome boys in person. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You can see we would definitely be cosplaying as handsome boys, faux show. <laughs> um, come, say hi. We'll give you a really cool card that's got some access to our website, and it'll have some exclusive content that's coming out really soon that we're actually really, really excited about. So yeah. come, say hi. Like Rumi said, we'll be 1030. We'll be at the Sideshow booth at 1030 on Friday if you guys are around. We will be hovering after probably about 1 o'clock. We will be near the Dark Horse booth on Friday the 20th if you guys are around for that. I personally, if any of you guys are interested in original art, there is a bitching auction. I think it's at the Indigo Ballroom, but it's at the hotel across the street from Comic-Con Saturday night. Go check that out. I love that shit. Yeah, I'm bummed, uh, I'm bummed I can't go to that because last year I accidentally bought a piece of art. <laughs> that was so cool. What was the high point? What was the high bid last year? Seventeen grand for a Frank Miller? Oh, no, there dude, was something higher the, than that, right? Yeah, the guy behind us, seventeen grand bought a Frank Miller, and that Frank wasn't Miller, the only giant piece he bought. He That guy was no. dropping. And seventeen grand, I don't think that was the high mark, but if it was, there was a couple other over 10 grand pieces that were sold. Yeah, yeah, um, there's some a, really It's a great ones. auction that is hosted by the Comic Fu comic Book Fund Legal Defense League. I go every year. It supports a great cause uh, to, you know, keep artists and writers 
from being censored. It's a really good cause. I do believe yeah, in they, it. Yeah, they help hire lawyers when, when a writer or, or an artist gets sued by crazy people who think that what they're doing is lewd or wrong or, you know, trying to stop free speech or, or freedom of thought, crazy book burners and shit like that. Like, they help them get lawyers to defend them in court and, you know, and win cases. And it's it's a re- that's a really important thing. But we really appreciate that. And, we, and, and this auction is a lot of fun. Well, and the auction itself has gotten bigger and bigger yeah. because two or three years ago, IDW got involved and yeah. IDW was, like, co-hosting and co-sponsoring it with them. And then last year... I don't know if it's going to be this year, and I have to check, but um, a comic book dealer called Splash Page Art also was involved. So between Splash Page and IDW, there are some bitching pages there with some really, really good stuff. If you do go, just don't raise your like, don't scratch the top of your head or like scratch your <laughs> neck because you'll you'll be you'll be you'll be paying hundreds of dollars it's for a free comic book to page. go. It's free to get a panel uh, to get a paddle to bid to bid with. Mm-hmm. I say get a paddle, and you know. Keep a hundred bucks in your pocket and just bid on something just to do it. You, you know, just that, bid it real, that you real like. quick, though. Real quick, if you, yeah, if you keep yeah, it up you too put long, that paddle up and down, paddle up, paddle down. Yeah, uh, but it's a lot of fun. There's a couple real rich people that go every year. Me and my cousins go every year, and there's a family that we call the Waynes because they just fucking just throw that green everywhere. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, they're slamming down bids. It's fun. It's fun, it, and it's so fun to watch two people in a bidding war that goes to seventeen thousand dollars. I mean, oh. that's it's some exciting nerd shit there. So yeah. check that out. That's Saturday night. But again, one more time: sixty years of famous monsters. Friday, July twentieth, five thirty to six thirty in room twenty six A B. Come say hi to the handsome boys. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Hope to see you there. Till next time, Rocketeers out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero.